Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. Now, I'm super excited because today we have a story that I was not familiar with until I had today's guest sign on to DingDash. Now, if you're not familiar with DingDash, DingDash is a platform that was created by us at Back to Jerusalem for social media for those that are living in areas that are uh, closed for Christians uh, in areas like Iran, China, Saudi Arabia. You know, a lot of people don't know that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is not available in those nations. So that is why we created DingDash. But we've been getting Christians from around the world signing on. Today's guest I learned about from her signing on to DingDash. And I'm super excited about this interview just because when I read the story, I was really moved. Uh, Evelyn, are you there? I sure am. Thank you so much for joining us at the Back to Jerusalem podcast. We are very thankful that you were able to take this amount of time and join us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. I, uh, I saw, you know, you, uh, because right now we have uh, about just under a thousand members. We will, we will reach a thousand members this week. So we're still really small. We're still starting off uh, on DingDash. Uh, but how did you hear about DingDash? Uh, you know, I don't remember I where exactly I heard about it, I think, but what I appreciate is the opportunity to have um, a place where conservative uh, voices can be heard um, in, in, a, in an environment that conservative voices want to be heard, <laughs> you know, where it's a, it's a both sides thing. Um, and, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, well, you know, uh, we started it mainly for Christians that have been living in areas that are closed off, that cannot get on YouTube, that cannot get on Twitter, that cannot get on Google, um, areas like China, like Iran, um, like Saudi Arabia. And uh, we've been, it, that hasn't really been a lot of people at the moment because I, because of the pandemic, I haven't been able to travel. Usually I'm meeting with thousands of people, you know, that are in the area between China and Jerusalem, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, uh, Vietnam, India, Cambodia, wherever. And during this time, I haven't been traveling. But what has been interesting is that we've been getting people like you signing on, sharing their ideas, because you are right. I mean, we don't um, stop people's freedom of speech. Uh, we allow people to share their thoughts. In fact, I'm going to be going to a podcast right after this to do with a guy who thinks that uh, Ding Dash is a horrible idea. Uh, they, he believes that it takes Christians out of Facebook and it takes Christians away from the, the normal uh, 
media square, as it were, the town square of, for media where uh, you can shine a light in the darkness. So we're going to do an interview together with him, but I love it when people like you sign on because you're right. Um, even in the West right now, we're starting to see conservative views, Christian views silenced and shut down on social media. Well, and I think it's good. It's good to do both, right? So I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, I have been for a while. I have a blog. I have a website. Um, and you know, my hope and my desire, what you know, my heartbeat really, is to share um, what God is is doing, is able to do, and will continue to do, and just to offer that hope because I think that um, our son's example shows that God is still working miracles. He's still doing that today. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from America, right? So I don't know that in this country there, there are people, I think before I had my son, that people, it was more like um, miracles happen. Yes, they do, but they happen to other people and they happen to other people in other, in other countries. Not so much here. And um, I think sharing my son's story offers that hope that miracles still happen. You know, I read, you know, your story and I just felt this, this is an amazing story. I would love to share it with our audience at Back to Jerusalem. Can you just give a little bit of background about yourself and then about uh, what you have been seeing in the last couple of years? I know it's a longer story, um, but I, I would love for you just to give us kind of the abbreviated version. Okay, well, um, I normally start at a certain point, but just something you said triggered in my mind. So just to give the audience a little bit, of, you know, you said who I am. So um, I was uh, um, nine years old when someone gave me a Bible. So I wasn't raised in a home where, you know, we went to church every Sunday, um, but somebody did give me a Bible. And my dad said I took to that like a duck takes to water. Um, but I knew at an early age that, um, you know, I, I wasn't, even as a child, I realized I wasn't living it, right? I read the Ten Commandments and I'm like, this is, you know, I'm not doing that one, you know? And um, I found that frustration of wanting to live the life that I was reading about in the Bible, but didn't feel I had the capability to, and I didn't because Christ wasn't in me, right? So um, it wasn't until I, 20 years later, after I was given that Bible, that I gave my life to Christ. And um, I gave him my, my whole life, and the one thing that came into my life at that moment um, was peace. This peace that's wrestling with my soul that I had, um, that went away and in came peace. And I, I think that's a really important place to start because, because peace came in in that moment didn't mean it stopped there. Um, so fast forward, I met my husband online um, on, on christiancafe.com. <laughs> and um, two and a half years later, after we met, we were married. And um, about six months after that, I found out I was pregnant with our first son, our, our boy, our, our Samuel. So um, we actually, when I was pregnant, we had a hard time naming him. Like, what are we going to name this boy? And we, then we found out um, at our sonogram appointment that there was a, pro a problem. Um, it's called a negative pregnancy diagnosis. If you haven't heard that statement before, that's what it's called. They handed me this lovely little brochure and sent me home. And um, it was really surreal to have to deal with that um, and, and come, come, to, come to grips with that. My faith 
has been strong. My husband's faith was strong. What what um, what does that mean? And a, a negative pregnancy test. What is what does that mean? It's a ne- it's, it's a neg- negative pregnancy diagnosis. Oh, so diagnosis. Sorry. Yes. That that your child, you know, has some problem. There's some issue. Um, finding out what that issue was, we went to a high level sonogram appointment where we went in the morning. I think we got out at like one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I write about I write about this in my book, um, Miracle in My Living Room. Um, when we went in, uh, it was not a happy place. Basically, other women were there trying to figure out what was wrong with their babies as well. Um, so the waiting room was very um, dreary, and people were upset. It was not the funnest place to go. Um, then I went in. They did a sonogram, and the doctor hung his head and said, "You know, I'm I'm really sorry, but you know, um, we're going to have you speak to uh, one of our genetic counselors, and we'll go from here." But what was really amazing in that moment, um, I just felt like I felt like God was there. And one of the nurses came over and said she felt like there was an angel in the room. So that was that was the first clue that you know God was going to be involved in this whole thing. Um, when they told us that my son could have three different diagnoses and all of them were um, not compatible with life, and when I left, we left that appointment and we went to lunch and when I left I had the sense of peace come over me that peace I was talking about earlier and I went to lunch with my husband and I I, I think you know I I need to tell him this so I, I told my husband I said you know I really have a sense of peace and he looked at me and he goes I do too so it was amazing that that gift of peace was given not only to me as a mom but it was given to my husband at the same time. Uh, let me um, let me ask you this: when when you were talking with the doctor, when you were going through the process, when they gave you the brochure, when you did the the the, the sonograms, um, did, was did you ever feel any pressure at all or strong recommendations to terminate the pres- pregnancy? Not then. Um, it was after. Okay. So the after reason. The reason I'm asking is because um, so we we had two children uh, over 20 years ago. So our our oldest one is in uh, in university, and our our youngest one is in his final year of of high school. But when we were um, when my wife was pregnant with our with our second child, we were going through the uh, the pregnancy in Asia. And even with a perfectly healthy baby, baby, when you go in for your consultation, before they do any testing, they already start uh, really strongly talking about terminating the pregnancy. Um, and they make you super nervous. Like any test that they're going to do, they basically say, yeah, if this is off, then we know we got a problem If this. And so there's all these different measurements that they're doing and they, and it's like you're hanging on by the seat of your pants, whether something's going to be wrong or not. And then they tell you before they even do the testing that you're probably going to want to terminate. And I, we just felt, wow, that's really strange that that it's so strong, like it's not subtle at all. And, uh, and we were given information on where to go, who to talk to, what to do to terminate the pregnancy. You are in a situation where the, the doctors already are able to share you know, with you that they feel that there might be something wrong. And so I, that's why I was asking. 
Yeah, I mean, they did, the genetic counselor did offer that, you know, as an option, but, you know, we, I think our faces, <laughs> my husband and I faces were like, oh, no. <laughs> where it came, where it came the challenge is, you know, after that appointment, when we didn't allow them to do an amniocentesis, so they didn't 100% know what my son's diagnosis was. By the way, we, we named him Samuel because um, Samuel means God has heard. And that's, we gave him that name, and, um, and, and we believed that God was going to hear. But when we would go to, to a doctor's appointment, they would say that they would give us, you know, well, you sure you don't want to do that, you know. And um, it, it, was, it made it hard to go to the doctor's appointments. And then um, after one particular one, they, they did a sonogram, and Samuel was literally dancing in my belly. I mean, he was just, like, Aww. jamming out. Like, he was dancing <laughs> in my belly. Another time he waved, and, you know, it's like, um, I think after the dancing belly thing, we're like, you know, how on earth could I even, I mean, I mean, whether he's born and he is with us for, you know, two minutes or hours or a day or, you know, whatever that is, I'm going to go through with this. And God gave us the peace that he was going to be okay. So not to make, make this sound like it was an easy walk for us because it wasn't. Um, you know, we did have Samuel and he, he did need to be on, um, oxygen at birth. Um, and eventually he had to be on a really, um, a, a ventilator called an oscillator that pushes about 200 breaths per minute in your child's body. Um, and I had one nurse tell me he's never going to get off of it. And I just, I didn't say anything to her. I just stored that information in my mind. And a week later he was off of it. Um, wow. And just God's grace through just all the things. I mean, even to this day, I mean, he's 14. He's going to be 15 next month. Wow. That, I mean, that is, so this, I, I, when I'm reading through your, the information on your website, um, you talk about the name of the disease that means something interesting in Greek. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, so Samuel's diagnosis is uh, called thanatophoric dwarfism. Uh, or the typical, it's thanatophoric dysplasia is the actual medical term. But it's thanatophoric uh, dwarfism. It's a form of dwarfism. There are over 200 types of dwarfism. So on the range from, um, you know, where the children are super small, uh, and Samuel's not sitting in that category to where it's another category called a chondroplasia, where that's the normal little people that you see on TV, that that's a chondroplasia. And Samuel has thanatophoric uh, dwarfism. Thanatophoric in Greek means death bringing, or as one person I spoke to who actually knew Greek, he said, it's the other terminology, it could be called heaven going. It's another definition for that. Okay. Um, so the diagnosis is not really what you want necessarily yeah. when you're expecting your first child. Yeah, and that's, and, I mean, it's not a, it's not a great name. It, I mean, it brings with it this cloud of doom and lack of hope in the name. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, you know, so Samuel was, was born, he was on the, he was on the um, oscillator and then he went to the, um, uh, the, the 
a different part of the hospital. For six weeks, he was in intense. He was in the pediatric intensive care unit. Then he was transferred um, um, to a different unit where I'm sorry, pediatric. It's uh, NICU, neonatal intensive care unit, for six weeks, and then he went to the pediatric intensive care unit. And when he went there, he was put on a different ventilator, and it was called a servo I. And this machine that the respiratory therapist told me could ventilate a frog. I mean, it had. So basically, it was breathing for Samuel. Um, and over time, he started breathing over it, meaning he was taking the initiative to breathe over the breath that was given him by the ventilator. But we couldn't take that ventilator home. <laughs> um, it, he had to get on a ventilator that is a home, a home model, so to speak. And that is why my son spent six months in the hospital because he was trying to go from one that, that highly specialized ventilator to this ventilator that you could just take home with you. Um, and six months later, we did. We took him home, and they were having they were having bets at the hospital. Like, who? How soon is he going to be back? Is he going to come back this shift, or is he going to be back tomorrow? And I knew when we left there, I'm like, we will not see you for a long time. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was um, because he was. I mean, he's the only, I'm in Florida, so he's the only child in the state of Florida with this diagnosis. There are um, about, I'm going to say the number, there's about 12 children with this diagnosis worldwide. They're made, you know, give or take, because I'm only making that um, based on my contacts, right? So there might be more that have not found out about our son or, or the, you know, that he's a survivor. Um, but there are other survivors out there. You know, um, people reach out to me from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm that's a small group. I mean, 12, 12 people, that's, it's, that's not that many people that have been going through what you have gone through. I, and when I look at, you know, any sort of, of disease like this in China, we just don't see many of them. And one of the reasons why is because the Chinese terminate so quickly. Um, and so we have at least... 15 million uh, abortions per year in China. And, uh, and a lot of that is done because of uh, parents finding out that there's something wrong with their child at the very beginning. And so what they do is they terminate the pregnancy with the fear of this will be our only child. And if this is our only child, we're not going, this, this will not work for us for retirement. This will not work for us to have a child that would take care of us in our elderly age. So, uh, and, mm-hmm. and China is not a place that is friendly for, you know, those that are different. And so, um, there, there, when, it, when you are in a communist country, they don't believe in God in, at the government level. So there is an idea, an embracement in communism, in Marxism of evolution. And the idea of evolution is that the fittest survive. And so mm-hmm. when you have a society that's based on that, you have a lack of passion and compassion. And I think as a result, China misses out on the gifts that come, because I believe, as you probably do as well, I would love to hear from you, but. I believe that every single soul is a creation that gives us a reflection of God. When we are told in the, New, the Old Testament that man was made in the image of God, I think that it's absolutely impossible for one man to be a, 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 a adequate reflection of God by himself. But 
all men at all times uh, that have ever been born, ever will be born, together collectively at least make more <laughs> of a reflection of God and his character. So when we miss out or we snuff out the life of one person, we miss out on that characteristic of who God is that we get to see only through that person. You, I'm sure you, 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 you because you wrote a book uh, about the miracles that you've seen. Can you just share a little bit, like what have been some of the gifts that your son has brought to you? What, what have been some of the miracles that, that have been, you know, revealed through, you know, being a parent of Samuel? You know, it's funny because as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, it, it's about love, right? I mean, uh, you know, and love is defined in some ways as sacrifice. Love is defined that you give that person love when they are not able to give maybe as much in return. So Samuel gives us love. Um, he is full care, so, um, you know, uh, he's not on a ventilator anymore, but he has a tracheostomy, and he has a G-tube, and he cannot dress himself, and we prepare his food, and I mean, so there's a lot of um, that, that idea that he is not, and I hesitate to say it this way, but please bear with me for a second, that yeah. he is not giving to us, right? He's not returning to us, but that's actually the other side of the coin. He gives so much to us through um, his joy and his smile. And, you know, I tell you, Samuel doesn't know his circumstance, right? He just knows that he knows that he's loved. Yeah. He's loved by so many people and he loves other people. He's a big, he loves people. You know, we have a friend, I say his name and he just, I mean, he's not even in the room and he lights up. So um, that the concept of love that goes both ways, the love that we give him and the love that he gives us. And then that translates into hope, that hope that, um, you know, God's given my husband and I the grace and to be able to take care of him and raise him and have him be the hope that miracles happen. And, and, and to me that, you know, so the miracle with Samuel is that he wasn't expected to live past birth. And then he lived a week and then he lived a month and then he lived six months he got out of the hospital and then he lived a year and on the year anniversary of his birth we had one doctor that was really a challenge when we were in the hospital and very negative and, and I think it wasn't he was trying to be negative it was he was trying to be realistic however it came across to us as negative <laughs> and on, on his year on his year birthday on Samuel's year birthday when, because uh, I sent I sent a card to the hospital letting him know he was going to turn a year, and I did that for every year for the next ten years after that. Um, the doctor called and said, um, you know, I just I just want you to know that you know all children are different, and we took that as meaning that's kind of like his apology for being kind of hard on us, but it it shows God's glory. It shows that miracles happened that he lived to a year and back then Eugene there weren't survivors I knew of I didn't know of any survivors back then we were truly on this journey alone um, there were two children in Japan one was seven and one was three and they both died at, at those ages and that's all we knew that at that time and so the 
the uh, the motivation for the book and the motivation for the blog um, and and being on social media the way I am is to hold up that light and to show people that nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Um, and, and just to trust him. I also uh, wrote a book of devotions um, last year called Thriving Through Your Trials, Devotions of Miracles, Faith, and Prayer. And this devotion is really sweet to my heart because it shares the scripture, but it shares also my journey as a mom through the devotionals, like um, how God helped me through those times over the years. And I think at the end of the day, right, it's about sharing the love of Christ, sharing the hope that he offers, and sharing Samuel's light with the world to give other people hope because of that, I'm getting calls from all over the world and people are saying, well, how did you do it? And, and, and it gives me the opportunity to share and to, and to share his light. You know, I, I, I love that. Um, during the time that you've kind of been a voice, uh, have you had chan- chances to minister to other children, to other uh, parents that might be having children in the same situation that were not believers, but you were able to uh, walk them through these the, this difficult, uncertain time and share the gospel at the same time? Um, I I think sharing you know, God's light and God's hope and just, you know, that the people that interact with me know that that is how I'm holding on, right? That, and, and I'm, I'm pretty transparent. I mean, I'm not perfect, right? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make this sound, I mean, especially with this pandemic the past six months, I have had plenty of time and chances and opportunity to worry because I'm trying to protect a, um, a special needs son, right? Who who is immunocompromised? Who a, a cold is really serious. It's not just you know, so. This you can imagine. This has been a real challenge. So I share through my blog, um, just you know how we are all a work in progress, right? So I have not arrived. I have not made it. I'm not perfect. That comes, you know, when when it's my time to go to heaven. But um, I think it's important to be transparent and real because I'm, I'm, um, I think other people gravitate toward that and they need to hear that. But in answer to your question, I, I remember the, um, I think it was a grandmother that called and she was telling me about her daughter having a child. And I think she called me, I don't remember, maybe it was a month later or three weeks later, I don't remember, the child had died. And I talked with her on the phone for an hour and I found out later that she was actually talking to me from the child's gravesite. And she told me later how much that conversation meant to her. And I don't, I couldn't tell you, Eugene, exactly the words I shared with her. I don't remember that conversation word for word, but just um, to be able to be with her in that moment, um, in that she told me how much she appreciated it. And I think, you know, that those are the stories that touched me. I'm, because, like you said, there's only, you know, we, we were saying there's only 12 people, yeah. right? So there's the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, you know, these moms and dads that give their children hope as much as they can. And then they, you know, some of them don't make it because that's, unfortunately, that's the nature of the diagnosis. But um, e- either way, God is sovereign, right? And and there is a purpose in all of it, Um you know, we, we all have a light 
to share and uh, that light is Christ and it's, it's hope in us, the, the hope of glory um, and how long that is seen in our lives is ultimately up to God because um, he, he is sovereign, but we can trust him. He's a good God. We can lean into him. We can uh, live through him and, and um, have, our, have, our, have our hope in our, in our being. And we share that. And um, the way the Lord has used you know, me is, is through the social media and the blogs and the books to be able to give, give hope where in this diagnosis, in this specific diagnosis, where there, there is none. They don't offer hope. Well, one of your books that you mentioned is called Miracle in My Living Room, The Story of a Little Man, M-A-N-N. Uh, where could peop- Where would be the best place for people to go and buy this book? Um, well, uh, it's, right now, Miracle in My Living Room is, my me- is the memoir that shares the story about Samuel. Um, you can go on my website, miracleman.com. Uh, and go to the bookstore in there. Um, Thriving Through Your Trials, uh, Devotions of Miracles, Faith and Prayer is on Amazon um, currently. Uh, and I've written a second edition of Miracle in My Living Room. Uh, so there's two editions um, that currently there's not a link for, but if you um, just leave me a message on uh, my email, I, could, we, I can work on that. I can get that out to you. Okay, great. And you can also be found on Dingdash as well at at Miracle17 is your handle name. People can look you up on Dingdash. If you want to read about Evelyn's amazing story with her son and her family, the miracles that she experienced with God and angels and praying about the, for, through this entire situation, um, you can find that and more with her blogs and everything at miracleman.com. That's man with two N's. So miracle, M-A-N-N.com. Evelyn, I want to thank you so much for coming and joining us on the Back to Jerusalem podcast. Thank you for having me, Eugene. I really appreciate it. It's a true, it's a true pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you too. Thanks. I really love stories like hers. Um, it's because she has taken on such a, I mean, the, the, the fear, the, the uncertainty that she you know, might have had at the beginning. She talks about how God just gave her and her husband this sense of peace that surpassed all of the trials tribulations god gave her what she needed for the time that she needed it and my wife and i we actually sat down i was sharing this story with my wife before we started the podcast because i i mean there's just something about their family there's just something about her uh and her story and her testimony that i found refreshing and i wanted to bring that to you because i Living in China for so long, life has so little value in a communist system. Those that do not fit into society have so little value. I mean, according to Marxism, um, those that can't produce, they're basically worthless for a productive society. And there's not really a need to 
keep them around. Humans are expendable in Marxist ideology. And when you see Christian nations and the kind of people that are produced by those that have been transformed by the gospel, like Evelyn, then you get to hear stories like the life of Samuel that cannot be told in communist nations. I want to thank you for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast again. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.